Welcome back to the No Boring Stories podcast. I, of course, am Alex Street, and I am thrilled to be joined today for what is sure to be a uh, quite a heady conversation, I assume, with the great Carrie Cohen. Carrie, how are you doing today? I am great, Alex. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm thrilled. This is this is going to be a lot of fun. I think. Why don't you just give us a heads up, a high level. Let's start with the now right here without going back in the story yet. Just introduce us. What do you do now? And what's the impact that you see it having on the people that you're working with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I am a, I've been a practicing psychotherapist for over 20 years and I am now working online with women men and couples who are on a fertility journey and they are navigating the stress and trauma of it. And I'm really helping them unravel some of that so that they can thrive. Yeah. Oof. There's like immediate emotions that spark up. Yeah. As soon as you say that. Do you feel that a lot? Like, it's just like, you don't even need to say anything more. And people are like, oh, I know someone or, oh, yeah. that's, that's me. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it is such an ever present, you know, I think also because a lot of people don't talk about it so openly. So when you hear someone just state it so bluntly that I think that it it also just, it hits differently. So you said, you know, really helping these people thrive men, whether it's men or just the women or just, or the couples together. Is, Is there one sense where you're like, look, it's really best to have you know, everybody involved in the room together, or is it just, what's the difference around working with single people or couples? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. So I would say that it's really, so, so men are really underserved in the Mm -hmm. fertility community Mm -hmm. and a lot of fertility practitioners are not working with men. They're working with women. And so because of my therapy background, I've worked equally with men as I have with women. Now, actually my, my focus really, I like to be able to focus on the couple because the couple is navigating a lot of trauma and stress. And so the difference for me really is if I can get the couple in the room together, that would be my preference. If one party is not Mm -hmm. ready yet to do that, then I will see the other one. Right. And so, and and you mentioned the word thrive. Is that like, is that, is that ultimately the feeling, you know, when they, they process whether they've already gone through loss and, and trauma that, or is, is it always after some sort of loss that, that people would come to you? Uh, typically there's usually a catalyst. And so when I think thrive, I think, you know, most people come to me when they are in crisis mode, right? And they're oscillating between that and survival mode, neither of which is ideal. So when we think about thriving, it's like really the ability to grow together, to utilize each other in a healing way, therapeutically. Mm -hmm. I mean, my position on marriages in general is that we should be able to use our marriage as a, a healing vehicle to go through life. And so I especially like to do that with couples who've been through a mutual traumatic kind of experience. Not everybody describes it as a traumatic. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sort of using that, you know, loosely, yeah. but yeah. Uh, so I, I like to be able to help couples cultivate that specifically with fertility. It just, it, it's, 
I mean, I, I love that image of a marriage. My wife and I really talk about that together, that, that it's whatever we've been through, we've been, we got married young, you know, I was 22, she's 23. And, and we talk about how we can't imagine going through what we've been through without each other. So that's what has actually got us through the loss. I mean, it's, it's none of the loss for us has been around fertility uh, specifically, but loss of parents and, and loved ones and any other difficulties, we get to go through it together mm -hmm. and how that's brought us together. I think that, I think you just put it so eloquently that this is a, a healing relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So when people are thriving, they're growing together. You said they're, they're, they're experiencing that together. Is there any, how else would you describe that thriving? What does that look like? Yeah. So I would say that there's a vitality in the marriage when the couple is thriving. Mm -hmm. So we think opposite of uh, daily grind, monotony, just getting through. So there's a vitality. There's a level of sort of reciprocity in their emotional, psychological, and physical world. So it's much more active, I would say, interpersonal dynamic versus yeah. like a passive one of just coexisting. I mean, look, marriage is really hard, right? So you've been married a long time. I've been married a long time. Marriage uh -huh. is really hard work. And if we don't actually start to use the benefits of it to our advantage very intentionally and very actively, uh -huh. then it can really be a drag during those low periods. Uh -huh. I, I, I'm just so fascinated by how you're already painting such a clear picture of like the story <laughs> that, uh -huh that you help people through like it's you've got all of these you know opposites essentially and and you know i would call that the transformation that the from this to this and from yeah. passive to active from crisis to i don't know control thriving. to thriving yeah. Yeah. right from separate to together from uh, you could go through a whole list of them i'm sure that you see people come to you with a certain state and and you are absolutely dedicated to helping them move through that ultimately again i think you know you've got this word thriving that that really that's the first one that you mentioned which means to me stands out as as queen here and all those others kind of fall under that mm -hmm. is that true is that is that ultimately like yeah i would say i would say yeah and you know i mean i take it also from my own experience in my marriage mm -hmm. that we've been together so we will be celebrating our 19th year this summer nice. and a few years ago I probably about five years ago now I read this article in the New York Times and it just said it was about this couple that was together for 20 years and they talked about you know how many ups and downs they had and how many times they were close to divorce but the reality is if you're together long enough you do go in and out of those stages and I think that for couples to be able to go through that and get really close to, to throwing in the towel, mm -hmm. but be able to find something foundationally that will keep them together and then ignite a fire under that to create some more life again and vitality in the marriage that to me, 
and that I, you know, I said marriage is hard enough, and I would say life is even harder, right? Mm-hmm. So, so existentially speaking, life is really hard. So it's really great to have this like sacred container, this therapeutic vehicle that is everything that we could use and need and want and make it like the best it could possibly be. And I don't mean that in a Pollyanna way at all, because that's, I don't really think that way, but I think that there's so much possibility that people could tap into that they're just so not aware of. It's so fascinating that because, I mean, just how you started that, that section there was, of course, yes, that transformation that comes from my own experience, which is, of course, everything that I lean into and focus on is it's no surprise to me that you're doing what you do now, Carrie, because you've experienced something, you know what these feelings are Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. You know what it feels like to be mundane or to be in crisis Mm -hmm. or to whether it's in your marriage or it was just, you know, in your teen years or something, you have some experience around that and at some point shifted and began to find thriving peacefulness excitement joy Mm -hmm. all of those other vitality which is why you then show up and help others do that now but the way that you're describing this is really about seeing couples come in it sounds like with a certain story that they're creating around their marriage. Yes. And and correct me if I'm wrong, the work you do essentially helps them get down to like, not the elements of that story that you see on the surface, but like, what's the root of that story? And let's find the purity of that. Let's find the gold in that and then build out of that. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, for sure. We do get to the, uh, we really try to extract from there what some of the foundational pillars are because in the story that I'm being told with words, there's so much underneath that. There's so many layers and there's a lot of symbolism in these stories that I hear from people in terms Mm. of what they're sharing with the words they're using, but what they're not actually saying in terms of the felt experience. And so we begin to think more deeply around the 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 themes that are sort of charging the the words, right? I mean, the words are just the words. It's really right. what's underneath that. Well, and that's that's again, I just love this. We're so on the same page here because this is it is is I get people coming to me where we talk about storytelling for your brand or your business or anything like that. Uh-huh. People are like, oh yeah, okay, I great. I, I can write good copy and I can, you know, uh captivate somebody. I'm like, yeah, but like what's the feel? Where's the emotion behind yeah. that? That's you're just putting words out there, but there's no emotion to it until we actually clarify what's the feeling that you've experienced? What's that? What's the emotional transformation? That is actually where we connect on a human level. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wildly interested as to the people that you're talking to, of course, they come in and they'll tell you something. How do you open them up to get beneath that surface level story that they might tell about their experience individually or together? Yeah. So when I'm sitting with a client or couple or an individual and 
they're sharing um, through their language, right? They're just telling me a story about something. Pretty quickly, I can see where there's gaps in the story. And oftentimes it's where there's some emotional charge that's being left out of the narrative. And so when I start to ask certain questions or co more commonly, I would say, I, I very gently point out discrepancies. Like you're telling me X, Y, and Z, but I don't, I sort of, I'm not getting that feeling from you. Mm -hmm. So I can point out a discrepancy in a way that that pretty instantly can create an aha moment for a client. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I actually hadn't thought about that. Cause you know, when you're in the story, you're just telling the story. You're not feeling the story typically. Yeah. Um, and so, so in that way, we then can start to peel back the next layer and the next layer and the next layer. And people love to tell their story. I just think that people are not used to telling their story and they don't know how to tell their story. I, I mean, I can sort of, can we sort of just take a, a slight like detour <laughs> and because I just want to speak to this personally in yes. my, my, my professional journey. So, you know, coming from being a therapist for over 20 years, we don't tell our story. Okay. Right. So there is no space for the therapist story in a psychotherapy relationship. So I still have a therapy practice, but I also now have a coaching practice. So when I started pivoting online almost two years ago, mm -hmm. I made my way around multiple niches, too, too many for me to even say on here, it's embarrassing, but I made my way around multiple niches and I was coming at these niches from a very professional standpoint and I was struggling with each of them and I kept changing. I kept changing. So finally, finally, I landed on a niche that aligns with me so closely on a personal level and on a professional level. Like I, I, I know how to do it, but on a personal level. Yeah. And it took me six niches to arrive there because I couldn't align my emotional experience with my professional experience because those were so disconnected in my profession as a therapist. And it was showing in my coaching work because I couldn't speak to it on the same level that I could speak to you now about this topic. Right. This is the most exciting thing for me to hear because that's, that's the journey that I like hope for everybody is yeah. to, to, of course, you're going to go through those moments where you shift and you change and you say something needs, something different is out there for me. I hope that I can find it. And you seemed to guide yourself through that journey that I honestly have the privilege of guiding so many people through which is okay but let's just let's clarify this like what is the thing you're trying all these things but what's what's actually most important to you mm -hmm. and what do you care about what what experience do you care about creating for others let's go create that and then here you are and you've got this this practice now this coaching business now so where does this begin for you if we talk about vitality if we talk about thriving is that you know is that how you grew up did you feel that did you see that was it was that prevalent to you that idea of like yeah this is this is the expectation this is what we do in life did you see um, that modeled for you or have those opportunities so. I don't think so 
I mean, I, uh, no, I think where I really started to get exposure yeah. to this. So really, I, I think where I started to get exposure, I would say it was probably through working with different clients. And I've learned a lot from my clients over the years. I've had mm-hmm. so many wise clients. And I think that there was, over the years, there's there's certain lessons that I got. And what I would do is I would sort of, in my mind, subconsciously, unconsciously, start to piece them together and create a narrative about sort of how do I want to be professionally? How do I want to be uh, as a woman? But how do I want to be in my couple? And I started to, and and so, and in my marriage, I mean, we've been together over 20 years. We've gone through some really challenging stages in our life, one of which was infertility. And that was 15 years ago. And so, but we've gone through other really challenging periods. And I think that once we got through those, every time you sort of go through a really difficult period in life and marriage, you sort of come out on the other end. And if you can go back and you can reflect and learn something from it, you strengthen that muscle, right? That's how we mm-hmm. develop resilience. That's how mastery comes about. And, and we begin to deepen our perspective or our paradigm about life. And look, I've spent a lot of years in my own personal therapy as a therapist. And so I've really spent a lot of time, like really thinking about a lot of these things. And my husband also has a background in psychology. So we really enjoy having these conversations. Right. And I think that, that one of the things for me is that, you know, I really want to have a very like lively kind of life in spite of the existential realities that we all have to face anyway. So how do we start to cultivate that, like me and myself and also us and our couple? Mm -hmm. And I think that I sort of have been arriving at it over a number of years. And and the house, I I grew up in a working class home. And Mm -hmm. I mean, my parents, you know, they were just doing their thing. You know, they were going to work. They were taking care of us. And there was no like, Yes, vitality. Let's, you right. know, let's right. I mean, it's just not for their generation. That was just kind of not typical. <laughs> yeah. But were you looking for that, yearning for that? Did you feel that that I, was a I, part of you? What I think so, but I don't think that there was an outlet for it for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I think that that. I think when we have a need like that, any kind of need, and there's no outlet for it, yeah, it gets sort of squashed for a while. So I think it was squashed for a while. And my husband has a a real sort of drive for that. He's very playful. He's way more playful than me, but he really has like a zest for life in that way. Right. And so, so yes, I think it was always in me. It just, there was no, uh, the ground wasn't fertile to really cultivate it. I would say. Yeah, no. And I think that's, that's actually a really relatable story in itself is to say like, yeah, no, of course I had this, this kind of idea within me that there was all kinds of possibilities. Most kids do, I think, unless they're in a really boxed in environment, Mm -hmm. but as you test that in small and sometimes big ways, you learn is, is it possible for me or is it not possible for me? Do I get to experience the kind of life that I think might be possible for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and so to speak in very vague and general terms here, you're like, yeah. And then you look at, and you know, you go through those formative years and see, I don't know, it's just not, that's not what I'm interested in. And yet 
did you go straight to college university like did you go straight into yes you know psychology like was that the, the journey did. for you when when did that become clear that like this is what I'm gonna do so funny such a funny story it's come up a couple <laughs> times in the last two weeks Love so it. it's a short story I promise so uh so I grew up in New York there's a very at, at least in New York famous psychiatric hospital and um it's a big compound so it's like many 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 buildings and we used to drive past there a lot when I, I was, so I was little, I was, I remember as early as eight and I would ask my parents, like, what is that? What is that building? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they, they used a different term, but basically told me it was a psych hospital. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, what do people do in there? Like, well, how do you get in there? How do you get out? And, and I was from that moment in time, I was super fascinated with psychopathology and psychiatry and was very curious about sort of the mind of sort of the mentally ill and yeah. full circle full circle. I, so I went to grad school in, in New York. I went to NYU. My first year's internship was no other place, but this hospital, I didn't request it. It just, it's the universe sort of bringing Beautiful. me back there. And it was very cool. So I was always interested. Uh, I was always interested in the psyche and sort of mm -hmm. what makes people tick psychologically and what they're thinking and why they're thinking that way and how they got there. And, and so I've always been fascinated with that. And it, it just, you know, I just sort of followed my passion in that way. How does that show up for like, uh, you know, you're eight, eight, nine years old or whatever, like <laughs> going through high school and stuff where like, how does that, yeah. How does that show up for a teenager to, to be like, so thinking about always thinking about like, what are they think? I mean, every teenager is always thinking about what are they thinking about me, but were you doing it? To yeah, like I wasn't an analytical thinking as level? much about, yeah, I wasn't thinking as much what are they thinking about me, but yes, I was thinking more. Like, ooh, what are what are they what are they thinking? What are they right. thinking about that? What are how did they get there? What are they doing? And and the the fortunate and unfortunate thing about that is that that I sort of lived in my head a lot though, uh -huh. you know. So when course. you live in your head, it's that you know it's it's can be kind of lonely, um, because most people don't think that way. And mm. it's really interesting. I say this to my clients, my long term therapy clients. That the longer you're in therapy, the more psychologically aware and astute you become, and the more different you start to feel from other people. Because mo the majority of the population, they don't think this way. They can't think this way, and and so so for those people, I say to them, it's really important that you find a partner in life who can meet you there, mm. um, because otherwise, this part of you will feel so deadened. And I like to have those interesting conversations with people and really be able to connect psychologically. And, you know, I have, I have like, I would say two friends who can do that with me right. and we just, we just get it. Like we just get it. Yeah. You could say um, whatever thought and they could just bounce it back. They just understand and, and, it. Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. They, they don't look at me with deer in headlights, but, but uh -huh. really the majority of people don't, they, you know, they also just, they don't know how to go there. They don't want to think that deeply. It's, it's yeah. can be agonizing sometimes, you yeah. know. So, you know, you found this outlet, you found these places to get out of your head, as mm -hmm. it were, and, and yeah. voice what you were thinking. And then you're providing a space for people to do exactly the same thing to then, you know, sit on a chair in front of you and get out of their head and put their thoughts into words. Is that essentially, I mean, to very simplify the psychotherapy <laughs> practice yeah, and process, yeah. there's a, a similar journey there. Am I right? 
Yeah. So they, you know, they sort of come filled with all of these thoughts and ideas and they don't really yeah. have a place to put it. And you think about sort of a pinball machine. It's like, you know, you, you're just, you're just sort of bouncing from side to side, to side, to side, and there's really no other place to go. So, so when you have another mind who can meet you there, and then you get to bounce ideas off another mind who can think with you, the possibilities are endless. You, you think about the compounding effect of my thought goes to your thought and then your thought changes and it comes to my thought. And then, and it's like, wow, the places that you go is just, so it is beyond fascinating to me about what's possible. So yeah, I, I create that space for people. It's, it's a, it's a, for some people, it seems like a luxury and for other people, it's a necessity. Uh, okay, there's something there. And also I want to come back to this idea of the bouncing ideas off back mm -hmm. and forth as somebody who is absolutely up in my head. I mean, I, I love the Enneagram and Enneagram mm -hmm. seven, which is part of the head triad. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking faster than a new thought can show up often. And so for those that are like me, that mm -hmm. do spend a lot of time in our heads and thoughts come and go so quickly is that you know the bouncing back and forth with somebody else is that even possible in your own head can you find clarity within your own mind and if so how do you do that or is it yeah. not possible without another person to, to voice those words out so it it is it is possible it depends on the depth of the thought and the issues that one is working with. Yeah. And it's also depends on that person's capacity for insight to really mm. have, like to make the psychological connections between the thought, the feeling and the felt experience. Now, what, what I do with my clients is I, it's, it's really, for most people, it's a pretty steep learning curve when they work with me. I work in my therapy practice. I work very analytically, which means we're, we're not, it's, it's so different from coaching. We're not like doing solution focused work unless right, that's right, the right. work that the client wants. But generally we are, we are really sort of uncovering more of like what, what's going on three or four layers deep. So I would say what happens is, is, is people, they really get trained to think in a different way. So once you know how to do that and you have the capacity to do that, you could do it. So I can, I can do that for myself a lot, right. but I still check things out with my husband. I still will say, Hey, I'm bumping up against this thing. It's happened three or four times. Am I missing something or is this, it is what it is. Cause not everything just is what it is, but some yeah. things are just what they are. And then I imagine, I imagine that, that whether he understands the situation or not, he can ask a question or something mm -hmm. that sparks you down a different path that immediately brings clarity one way or the other. Yes. Yes. And he knows me so well to know right. what my themes are. Right. So that's also the benefit I would say of long-term mentorship, whether it be with a coach or a therapist is they sort of know your themes. Right. But yeah, he mm -hmm. knows what questions to ask to sort of get me if I'm in a loop or uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think that what happens is, is we, we can develop that capacity for ourselves with training. You know, someone has to mm. teach us that. Tell me about themes. 
a little bit what, what shows yeah. up there because I again I, this is all such similar language right everything that we're talking about you know you can say you're you're up in your head and there's there's thoughts that you're telling yourself and I would say yeah there's a story that you're telling there's a narrative that you are constantly living out yes you're living in who you were instead of who you are that sort of picture and so you talk about themes I'm like oh okay yeah this is cool this is what is this this is yeah, a, a running again a theme of the story, uh, a, mm-hmm. um, uh, a a plot as it were for you the the main character. But tell me what you mean when you say that that you've got these themes that your your husband will notice as you're speaking. Yeah, so just sort of going to to a, a client example first. So when a couple or an individual, it's easier to explain with a couple when they yeah. present. I could either address every single story they tell me, which could be, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens mm-hmm, of stories, mm-hmm. right? Which would mean that I would go down dozens of rabbit holes. Yeah. Because, right? So what happens is, is I start to listen for the themes and I begin to extract from there because basically most couples have two to three themes, patterns of relating that they get stuck in. Different story same theme. So what I do is I start to sort of extrapolate from that and we go through. So when I think of themes, I think of patterns of relating, like what's your pattern of relating? If, if this happens and this happens, you're going down this pathway. And then we, we begin to really focus more deeply on that. So the same could go for us, right? So for our own themes, it's like, you know, if, I get triggered in a particular kind of way, then my reaction is like for, for an example for me is I was, I forgot what was coming up. Something was recently coming up and I asked my husband, I said, am I, am I being avoidant on this thing? And I am generally not an avoidant person. I am mm-hmm. generally uh, like sort of deal with something head on, but I said, am I being like, am I missing like some imposter thing or something going on here? Which again is not one of my themes, but I mm-hmm. still wanted to see if there was something I couldn't see that was going on. And it, it was, a, it was about me. I think it was about me changing niches and ultimately where I finally arrived and realized because my business coach is like, please don't pivot again. You know, (laughs) every time you pivot, you go back to square one and it's like, well, here comes another pivot, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, what am I doing? That's what it was. I was like, am I self-sabotaging? Because every time you pivot in this business, you start over again. Right. And so you never get traction. So I'm like, is there some like, is this some subconscious sabotage, which is not, again, not me, but here's what I realized, which what I told you earlier in the session, in this, in the session, in this episode, (laughs) I'm so deep in a session. I'm honored. In this episode was that there was a disconnect in me between my, my professional identity and my personal identity. Right. And I went through this whole process when I was sort of transitioning into coaching around identity work, but that, but but I was really also facing that in coaching. And until I really aligned who I was personally with who I want to be professionally, mm-hmm. I, that's why I was going to keep switching niches. And that was the thing that I really needed to come to was that like, this is my story. I am a woman who's been married, who's been in couples therapy, who went through nearly three years of infertility and has one child and only one child and got her through IVF because I was so fatigued after that, that we didn't have it in us to go through that all over again. And it was like, you know what, that's my story. And 
that was not a story that I was really sharing and aligned with. And until I was, I really sort of deeply connected with it. And, and in hindsight, it's like, well, of course, that's why you went through six different niches, because none of those were part of your real story. Right, right. Which is so again, and, and there's all those elements that you touch on there. Deep, significant, serious, I identity forming moments. Mm -hmm. And there was this feeling that I just heard you say about fatigue. Yeah. Tired. Mm -hmm. Through all of that. Is there anything else that, that showed up? Or... Yeah, about that that sort of those those feel the feelings that showed up through through that journey. Yeah, you know, after the two and a half, so I, I finally we finally had a child uh, at the end of year three, and there was there was relief, there was joy, there was gratitude, there was exhaustion. And there was, you know, be, be happy with sort of what you have now, yeah. rather yeah. than feeling like you need more and something else. Because really, when you're going through fertility treatment, and just infertility in general, like, there's a yearning and a longing that is just so deep and unfulfilled. And so... I found myself finally when we were pregnant and gave birth to this awesome kid that it was just like, you know what, that longing actually got fulfilled. I really, truly didn't need another kid. It was really more of a narrative I had in my head. I never saw myself with an only, okay. I never saw myself with an only. So that was a story, right? That's a story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And boy, did I hold on to that story for a long time. And then you have to tell people that story and like, oh, you only have one. Mm. <laughs> and so, but, you know, I had to come to terms with my story. And yeah. so, so there was so many feelings, but in the end, so she's turning 14 this summer that we look back and say, you know what, that's the way it was supposed to be. That was the way it was intended to be. Right. But, but, you know, we, we, yeah, we have one. Yay. We have yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Which is what, and that, that is, that's, that's a vitality. Yes. There's, there's a, a joie de vivre. There's a, there's a, a, a thriving to mm -hmm. that experience and that attitude. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so fascinating. I'm so, I'm so grateful for you sharing, you know, these, these experiences that you've gone through. It's, it's not, light stuff even though it sounds like it as you speak it out now it's it's easy yeah. to to say but it's that takes work to get there um and there's so many people who are listening to this who are going to identify with these experiences and and also you know i hear that and also i want to say i i feel slightly intimidated uh talking to you where i'm sitting here i'm like okay well here's actually a journey of this story that I see as we've like unpacked this a little bit. Cause there's themes to talk about themes, themes to what you say. And in very much the same way where you're like, yeah, no. And I try to draw those connections together. That's I keep doing this, right. Draw like with my hands, creating like this thread yeah. from there to here that follows all the way through. And, you know, we touched on this idea earlier of having this, these ideas or this, I think you said earlier, but like, you know, as a child, maybe I yearned for something or like I had this, like, I, I 
longed for something, but the ground wasn't fertile for that. Mm -hmm. And then it's very much the same way that you just described that, that, that fertility journey was there's this yearning, this longing for something. And it literally wasn't the mm -hmm. fertile, the fertile, you know, ground yeah. wasn't there. And, and then to grow through that experience was yes, to get what you longed for and also to adapt to, to, I don't know what that it's not adapting maybe, but to, to, well, to learn to thrive mm -hmm. within yeah. that. Yeah. I would say thriving comes after we sort of come to terms with things. So if we, if we yeah. think about the cycle of grief, you know, yeah. we think about grief is depression, anger, bargaining, acceptance, and hope at the end and at the end of that. And so we're, we're all going through that. You know, it's very cyclical. We're all going through that at all different points in mm -hmm. our life. At the end of all of that, we come to terms with, and then we can thrive, right? So, mm -hmm. so, and to me, thriving is, it's really living in the face of, and in spite of all the other things going on in our life, in our world, in our family, in our psyche. That's beautiful. And this is how you're showing up today. Yeah, feels good. And helping everybody that you're working with do the same thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. to get them to that point where they are able to say just that, that even in the face of and in spite of <laughs> the things going on in this world, we're choosing this, we're choosing joy, we're choosing mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Yeah, that whole idea that it's a choice, you know, that I think mm. that we, I think that we as humans forget that, that we do have a choice and it, it gets really bogged down with so many other have tos and need tos that we forget that we have a, a choice in the matter. I mean, we have to get there, but we, we do have one. I think that that's we'll wrap up here, but like to, to, to zone in on that, I think this could be a really significant point here is that how much choice does play into yes. Writing the story for your relationship, mm -hmm. essentially uh, what's the alternative. If, if we don't feel like we have a choice in if, if we're not writing our story or choosing to tell our story, what do we think otherwise that, that it's happening to us? Yeah, happening to us. And I think that, that it's so easy for all of us at any given moment in time to fall into that trap that, that this happened to me, right? Why me? Why does this have to happen to me? Why, right? And I, believe me, I've had that experience myself, right? Yeah. You know, And so I think that, that that gives away so much power of our own sort of fortitude, our own capability, we're, we're giving away so much power and putting ourselves in such a fragile state that the reality is, is that we, we, we need to get ourselves to a place where we feel like we can choose. I'm not just saying, yeah, everybody could just choose. You just choose it and you get it. It's really mm -hmm. doing some of the inner work to get yourself to the place where you feel like you have the strength to actually be able to choose and then follow through with that, because that's really what you want. You want that more than you want to be in the place where life is passively happening to you. Well, I have no doubt that there will be couples that are listening to this or individuals who are listening to this mm -hmm. and want their significant other to listen to this, to get a taste of 
you know, what it could be like when they're, they're sharing a story and creating a new story together. And I'm so grateful for your mind, for how you work, for the experience that you bring to this, for you opening up your story and what brought you here and your passion behind what you do. It's truly world-changing stuff here. And so for those that do want to find you, what's the best way to connect with you and get a conversation started? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm active on Instagram, Carrie Cullen Coaching. I'm also active on LinkedIn, say, Carrie Cullen. I'll, I'll give you that link for the show notes because it's, yep. it's a little harder to find people. And I have a website, and uh, which is in the process of being under construction since I to switch my niche, um, but I'm all over the place. So people can find me and I want to thank you. These are the kinds of conversations that like, they just, they, they just sort of like create so much like energy and life inside of me. So I love this. I love when people can sort of meet me and they're interested and they really want to sort of bring their mind to the table and have this kind of juicy discussion. So I appreciate you and giving me the space to discuss this with you. It's so good. The appreciation goes right back to you. We're just going to play tennis right here. Just thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Because, you know, you dip, dodge and dive with all the, the curveballs that I threw at you here and, uh, and and just took it with grace and kept the conversation elevating. So kudos to you as well. I, I'm just so grateful for your time here. here. Thank you. I'm so excited that you got to be a part of this conversation on the No Boring Stories podcast. So go ahead and share this episode with the people that you love so that they can experience the same kind of transformation you just experienced while listening in. And then go ahead and rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast platform as that helps this episode get seen and heard by so many other people. Thank you for being a part of this. I am so grateful to spend this time with you. This has been No Boring Stories. I am Alex Street, and we are just getting started.